listening to the Heavy Checklist Podcast. All right. Today is a big freaking day. Like I've been looking forward to this day for a long time now. We have a very special episode of the Heavy Checklist Podcast. Uh, if you're watching the video, you already know who our guest is. If you're not, then uh, I'm going to give you, I'm gonna give you some, uh, some teasers here leading into this. This guy, um, hint number one, I'm actually going to tell you this, Marcus. Did you know that this guy used to be a uh, former pro football player? I did know that. Yeah, I've did done you? my homework. Yeah? yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, did you know that this guy is also a professional salsa dancer? This I know from your podcast, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this guy is full of surprises. This guy has uh, his own podcast, which is probably one of the, if not the top podcast in the world, going on, I believe, 936-something around there episodes. And uh, I was recently on his show, on his podcast down in L.A., and it was a really cool experience. Um, this guy also, the best way to describe our guest today is he's like, a, he's like the big brother that everybody needs. If you don't have a big brother, now you do. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce everybody to Mr. Lewis Howes. Mr. Lewis, welcome to the show. My man. Thanks, brother. Appreciate Dude, it. So excited to have you, man. Um, <laughs> Lewis, don't, wouldn't it, you agree with that, man? You aren't, uh, you're kind of like the big brother that everybody needs or doesn't have or doesn't you know, have. It's, you know, it's funny you say that because um, I'm the youngest of four, so I've always been the little brother yeah. to my family members, and I've always been the... I've always felt like the young underdog type of guy, but I just turned 37, so I guess I'm close to the 40, which makes me getting older. But I, I always feel like I'm around older people mm-hmm. and always just wanting to learn and develop. And uh, But it's that's the first time I've heard you're like an older brother. Yeah, I don't know I'll why. I'll take it, man. I'll, t- I'll take it. I think um, that means I'm, I'm getting wiser. So I think I'll that's what that. it is, dude. You're wise beyond your years. And I think uh, you, you might be the oldest guy in the room right now. What are you, Marcus, 36? I'm 36. He's got I'm, me beat. I'm 35. So you got us beat by like a year or two. So your big brother you status, man. You're 37, man. I'm, I'm sick. I'll take it, man. Yeah, you're a baby. For all you've accomplished... I definitely have enough experience to be a big brother now. So I've learned a lot through a lot of mistakes. And I think that's when you become someone that you can support others when you've gone through a lot of mistakes and lessons and adversity and all that stuff. Well, not only that, but I feel like your own story, your childhood, your upbringing, coupled with, dude, you're close to a thousand interviews now. So all your learning has been amplified because you've been able to absorb experiences from all these other people. And you've, I'm not talking like, I'm not talking small interviews. You've interviewed guys like Tony Robbins. You've interviewed, you've interviewed Kobe, like some of the like most famous, most influential people of all time you've had an opportunity to sit down with. So, uh, that's kind of what I want to get into today because obviously, um, your format of your show is you're always interviewing. You're the guy sitting on the other side. You know, when I went down and interviewed with you, it was hard for me to sit there and, and not try to turn the tables and interview you because obviously, yeah. uh, you know, you got a lot of knowledge and a lot of information. So today's your chance to kind of share some of that. And with all your knowledge and information, we're talking, is it 936? Is that right? Episodes? Somewhere around there, yeah. Yeah, so. We're doing three weeks, so it's going up every week. Yeah. It's insanity, man. That is so much recording, which obviously, look it's at. A lot, of, uh, a lot of content, man. Look at his beautiful background. So, I, I mean, mean, he's got a studio think, dedicated. Uh, we got we to gotta work on a few things, yeah, uh, <laughs> especially one, how to get into Zoom calls. Uh, step one. Yeah. <laughs> which, which actually, I got I got a disclaimer real quick for the listeners. Um, I hate uh, video calls and phone call podcasts just because I'm kind of an audio yeah. snob. And you are too. Obviously, down at Lewis's operation studio in LA, it is legit, like as legit as it gets. Audio, everything's just dialed. You walk in there, we were recording in a couple of minutes. Everything was just set and ready to go. So um, forgive the Zoom call, but obviously with the uh, current world uh, conditions, everything that's going on, 
this is what we uh, this is what we have. But I'll tell you this: you make the most of it. You know? we, we do, we do, and I, we're going to do another interview. I'm definitely going to we're going to get in person because once you get in person with Lewis, it's a different it's a different story. He's just got an energy about him that I honestly I've never felt. I've been around a lot of cool people and a lot of influential people. Lewis just has the ability to make you feel like, dude. I knew him for five minutes, and I was like, hey man, come to my Monster Jam show, and he came out, brought. Um, is uh Jeanette, you call it? yeah, yeah Jeanette. uh she came down and, and they enjoyed the show and like within a couple of minutes you know him and uh, the muscle were like punching each other kicking each other in the chair. like he's just he just fits <laughs> right into the family so um i think yeah. our listeners are gonna love what we have to share today because um lewis has the ability to deliver information in a way that uh you've got a gift dude i mean flat out it's a gift well, thanks, man. and that's why your podcast is so successful and that's why i'm so pumped that you've decided to make this your full-time focus. Like, uh, that's one thing that we're going to talk about today is a guy like you, you got to love opportunity. Uh, you can go anywhere, do anything and, uh, make money in a million different ways. Um, and one of the most influential things that, uh, your podcast, you know, did for me was you talked a lot about kind of narrowing in on, on what you're really good at and focusing. <laughs> and we talked about that yeah. a lot on, on, on my episode with you. So, uh, before we get into any of that, I want to, I want to ask, who is Lewis Howes other than the bio that's on your website? Mm. Uh, as simple as I can put it, I just think I'm a guy with a big heart and big dreams. And I've always wanted to achieve my dreams and make something of myself. I've always wanted to prove myself uh, right in a, in a positive way, not making others wrong, but like proving to myself that you know, when I put my mind to something that seems so daunting and so far away that I can follow through on the action steps and learn the skills I need to, to make it happen one day. Sometimes things happen within, you know, a week or a month or a few months, but a lot of the dreams that are worthwhile take 10, 15, 20 years. And, um, I'm just, I just love life at that level where it's, where I can see how many big dreams can I see come true and how many people can I make smile, laugh, feel good about themselves along the way? Because I never felt really confident about myself growing up. And, and I felt really insecure and alone. We were talking about how I'm you know, the youngest of four. My older siblings, my brother was 11 years older. My sisters were four and eight years older. So you don't really hang out with the young, like, seven-year-old when you're in middle school, high school, college. Like, you're not hanging out with your younger brother who just doesn't understand anything. It's kind of like a little brat. And uh, that's all I wanted was just to be able to hang out with my, you know, my siblings, have friends, just like a lot of, I think, of young kids wanted. And um, I feel like I never got that. So it was kind of a lot of time with myself in my thoughts, isolated. You know, I feel prepared for Corona because I was isolated my whole childhood, just trying to figure out how do I get through this and what can I do? And I would just play a lot of games with myself with for hours. I would take a tennis ball or a racquetball and I would just throw it around and the, the, try to hit all four corners, try to catch it with my right hand, left, and just play like little games to try to train myself or stay busy. And during those times of isolation, I would just dream a lot and say, okay, what do I need to do to overcome these insecurities and fears in order to make these dreams come true? And it's just been a journey. So I feel very grateful. You know, that's funny because I think that's one thing that you've done really well. Um, I know you grew up in a, was it a scientific religion, Christian scientism? Christian science. Yeah. yeah. I would say the opposite of Scientology. It's called Christian science. You read the Bible and then another book called The Science and Health, which was the, the religion was founded by a, uh, a woman 
which is you don't really hear about that much. So right. I feel like both. I feel like both of our religions have probably a lot of um, uh, judgment based on the lack of education, awareness, or or whatever they've heard in the news or something. And so I grew up also with this kind of judgment from the religion I had, which I didn't know any other people that were Christian scientists. It was a church in my town of 20,000 people in the town of Delaware, Ohio. And there was like eight people in the church. And it was like me and my siblings and a few other adults. So I didn't really know people until I went to a, like a camp in the summer, like a Christian camp that had other, other, uh, that was specific for Christian scientists. And I started to meet other kids and I was like, wow, I really like these kids. They're positive. They're nice. Um, probably a lot of like, you know, Mormon kids, which is like clean, positive, nice in general, you know, it's kind of the, well, dude, that's the funny thing. I thought before I knew too much about you, I thought that you were Mormon, uh, part of our religion, obviously the same we, we have a ton of, uh, listeners of this podcast that are, you know, same, uh, members of the same religion. And a lot of them I found, uh, when I posted the interview that I did with you, a lot of people in my community were like, oh, I love Lewis. I listened to him. And, and I've had people say, I thought he was part of the church. And this, because you live a lifestyle that's very uh, much what we believe, which is live clean, yeah. live healthy, serve others, love others. I mean, it's not... It's, okay, man. Don't judge. Exactly. Yeah. That's what it is, man. That's what, but I mean, yeah. the reason why I got into that, there, there's, a, there's a scripture verse that reminds me a lot of you and, and who you are and what you've become. And it's in uh, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 29, and it says, he gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. So mm. uh, it's, it's, it's all about turning your weaknesses into strengths. And that's what yeah. you've done. I mean, that's the story of your life, right? Like you weren't the yeah. popular kid. You weren't the, the kid that excelled at everything. So you're like, you know what? I'm going to be that. I'm going to become the best salsa yeah. dancer in the world, even though I'm a, what are you, six foot six, six foot seven, like <laughs> six, four. six, four white <laughs> yeah. dude. I, I mean, that's exactly against the odds in a lot of ways. Um, and then in a very non combative way, the problem that I see a lot of people when they want to prove themselves, they make it a real negative experience and, and they're so unhappy and so much hate and so much frustration along the way that even when they get to where they're wanting to go, they get, they're not happy because they didn't you find happiness along the way. And I think I learned it the hard way through my teens and twenties, even though I came from a loving, joyful place, most of the time, there was also in my teens and twenties, it was, I want to be right. And I want others to be wrong. And I want to prove the kids who bullied me wrong. I want to prove whatever teachers said I couldn't do something. And I'm going to prove the world wrong about me. That was the mentality. And yet I could never sleep with peace in my heart. I was always stressed out. I was it was never enough when I did achieve all these goals. It was like, yeah, but I don't feel good still because I need to prove more people wrong in order to feel good. And it just never worked. And so it wasn't so I was about 30 when I started to learn the lesson the hard way of like, okay, trying to, getting angry in these situations, competing at all costs. Did you say age you know, 30? Sacrifice. Yeah, I was about 30 years old when I started to what, kind of... What was the turning point? <clears throat> I had a... Uh, it was kind of like the perfect storm where a lot of things went bad at the same time. And, I, and luckily it didn't go too bad where it was over the edge, uh, bad where I couldn't recover from. But I went through, I moved from New York to LA for a girl that I was dating where she kind of made an ultimatum. She was like, I want you to be in LA. I want to see what we create together in the same city. We were dating long distance for about six or seven months. And she was kind of at the point where, and I was going back and forth and I could be anywhere at any time because I had this kind of laptop lifestyle business at the time. This is preschool of greatness. This is and, po um, post NFL. Yeah. Post arena league. I never made the NFL, but I okay. played arena football. Okay. And I post, yeah, post arena league, post my sister's couch for a year and a half, started building a business, 
I had a dream of making the Olympics playing handball, team handball. And um, I, when I was on my sister's couch in 2008, I watched the Olympics uh, in Beijing on TV. And I saw this sport called team handball in the middle of the night at like 3 a.m. And it's essentially a sport that looks like water polo on a big basketball court with no water. Hmm. And it's like soccer with your hands. And so I saw this sport and I was like, where has this been my whole life? This is the sport I was born that's the to one play. That, that's this, the one that resonated with you? This is the sport. It's like if you're fast, if you're tall, if you've got a great arm strength. Like I, I was a pitcher in high school. You know, if you can jump high, it was just everything about the sport. I was like, where has this been my whole life? Real this quick, on that topic, play. hold. you know Dr. Dr. Amen? He did yeah. a podcast with Ed Milet. Did you hear him say that um, racquetball players happen to live longer than anybody else? I believe it because probably the uh, just the hand coordination. Exactly, that's what the, he said. The connection to the brain. I mean, also ping pong. I played ping pong with Dr. Amen as wow. well years ago. I've, I've interviewed him too. And he says playing ping pong is one of the best things for, for keeping memory and keeping yourself active with the brain and the body connection. So anyway, so I, I, I'm, Went from I, my first dream after losing the, the football career dream was I got injured, had a surgery. I was on my sister's couch for a year and a half trying to recover from this broken uh, wrist surgery. And they took a bone out of my hip, put it in my wrist. And for a year and a half, I'm trying to figure out, well, how do I make money? How do I figure out what my, I lost this identity, which I thought I was going to do for years. Everything that I tied my self-worth around is now dead. And I don't have any skills. I didn't graduate college yet. It took me seven years to finally get my degree. This is 2008, 2009, when the economy really crashed. You have no wife or time. significant other or like I have no wife. Right I've there. got no kids. I'm, I'm, you know, on my sister's couch. She brought me in, let me live rent-free for a year and a half. I didn't pay anything for a year and a half. The wow. stuff broke I was. Three credit cards I was living off of, uh, student debt, and essentially begging people for 10, 20 bucks different times in the week just to get food. I remember going to uh, a Toastmasters. I eventually started saying, okay, I need to overcome a lot of my fears and insecurities because these things are holding me back from making money, from getting a job, from figuring out what I want to do next. And I started meeting some mentors on LinkedIn and I started going salsa dancing and I started doing public speaking because I was afraid of all these things. So I remember going to a public speaking class called Toastmasters in Columbus, Ohio, and I, I went to a bunch of them to see which one I wanted to go to. And I essentially wanted to go and see which one scared me the most, hmm. which one had the best speakers where I was so intimidated by, that's the one I was going to join. And one of the first weeks I did this, I went to a bunch of different ones, and one of them had some like snacks in the back, right? They had some like carrots and I don't know, some hummus and pita bread. And I literally, I had a, I had a huge cast on from my shoulder to my fingers. And I was walking around like this with a cutoff shirt on in the back of the room. And when it was done, I literally took napkins, filled it up with pita bread and carrots and stuffed them in my pockets. Cause I was just like, I got to eat right now. And there was a guy there who was speaking, who witnessed this. And he goes, you must be, <laughs> I just looked like a bum. He goes, like, let me take you to lunch right here. There's like a diner next door. He took me to lunch, ended up becoming a mentor of mine, teaching me how to do public speaking. We wrote a book, my first book I wrote with him on LinkedIn. And uh, he really guided me to help me learn public speaking and overcome these fears. And so for me, it was, it was I learned quickly how to find the right people and the right information and then apply it to take massive action and overcome my fears. 
after finally a year and a half of doing this, I was making enough money where I said, okay, now I'm going to go pursue my dream of making the Olympics. And I did research. There was nowhere to play handball in Ohio, but New York City had the national champions for kind of like the intramural club league in the USA. There's no pro league of team handball here, but there was like a club tournament and they were the best. So I said, I got to learn from the best. I moved to New York City. I show up to practice the first day. No one knew I was coming because I just saw it on the website where the practice was. I said, I'm the only American there. It's all Europeans that used to play professional that live in New York. And I said, my name is Lewis Howes, and I'm, <laughs> I'm here to learn handball and make the USA team and go to the Olympics. They all started cracking up and laughing at me. It was the last day of practice because their season just ended. They said, come back in three months. And we'll see if you have what it takes. I come back in three months. I show up every week to practice. Nine months later, I make the USA national team. Um, I start touring around the world, playing with the USA team for the last eight years. But to go back to the story of like what happened at 30, after a year and a half of being in New York City driving, my business was taking off, handball was taking off. I was meeting all these people. I felt like a, you know, I was just growing in a big way in a new city. I meet this girl. We start dating long distance. She asked me to go live in LA. I was like, I can fly back and forth. Like, it's all good. I'll come here for two weeks, keep my stuff in New York. She was like, no, I want you to be in LA and see what this is like. I told myself I would never move for a girl, but I was like, you know what? Let me give it a shot and see what this is like. I fly to LA, let go of my lease in, in New York. I have no place to stay in LA except for an Airbnb for a month, two suitcases, a laptop and a guitar. And I fly there, and right after I land, within the first 30 minutes, she ends it. She, she breaks up with me. Jeez. So this, I was like, so now I'm angry. I'm like, what do you mean? She was just self-sabotaging it. She was afraid, all this stuff. We get back together. It's like a six-month roller coaster of figuring things out. But that is stressful. What year was this? And I'm resent. This was 2011 or 12. Okay. 2012. First big movie yeah, ever made, right? Outside of Ohio. Yeah. Well, I went from, I went from Ohio to New York. That yeah. was a big move, but then to LA cross country, which I said, I would never live in LA. I didn't like LA. It was too superficial. I was just like, ah, people aren't real. All this stuff. I was an East coast guy. And, um, that, that was not working out. And it was just an emotional six months of figuring it out back and forth together, not together. And then I was also had a business at that time with a business partner that wasn't working out. And we were getting resentful towards each other. We had different visions. You know, we probably weren't both communicating in a clear way of what we wanted, immaturity, all that stuff. It wasn't working out. And I was just getting more and more angry and resentful because the business wasn't working out. The relationship wasn't working out. I was 30 years old at the time. And I was like, man, I've made, I've made a lot of my dreams come true. I'm making great money. I'm on the USA handball team. Um, you know, building this business, I've got all these accomplishments, I'm getting press, but why am I still not happy? Why am I reactive all the time? And I ended up playing a lot of basketball at this time, picking basketball here in, in LA. And I was just like getting snappy at everyone. Anytime said anything to me or tried to like cheap shot me, it was like, I felt like they were trying to kill me hmm. and I would defend myself. Like my life depended on it. And this is just like fun pickup basketball games, but I, now, one day I got in a, a fist fight with someone. Someone headbutted me, and I, I was like, "Okay, now you, now you've unleashed the beast." That's a hell of a way to start a fight. Me, 
Did you hit me first? Like now I can do whatever I want to do type of mentality. Cause I wasn't going to hit anyone first, but I would instigate and push, you know, all this stuff. And, um, that really woke me up. Cause I don't, I don't remember the last time I got a fight, maybe I was 12 or 13. And right. I was just like, what is wrong with me? I'm a 30 year old man getting in a fist fight in the middle of a pickup basketball game in Beverly Hills. Like this isn't some life or death situation. It's a basketball game. So that was a trigger for me to say, wow, something's wrong. Something's off. And I need to discover what that is. And it went through like a six month journey of reaching out to therapists, friends, um, doing any type of personal development workshop, reading books, just trying to figure out why, why am I triggered emotionally in these situations? What is going on? And that's when I went to a workshop that got me to open up about sexual abuse for the first time. Mm. And that just became a whole nother journey of healing, forgiveness, um, opening my heart in bigger ways. Just again, I think I was afraid of people knowing who I truly was, what I'd been through. And if they truly knew my story, would anyone like me, accept me or love me? And I think that's a fear a lot of us have is will people accept us and like us or love us if they truly knew how bad I was or what happened to me or how shameful I am about a situation. So when you experienced that, you were a kid, right? You were pretty young. I was five. Yeah, I was five. After that happened, I think this is, this is kind of the, the pattern that people follow after something like that happens. You, you just kind of pretend like it didn't happen, right? You just, yeah. you almost forget it. I'm, I mean, I mean, I forgot it, but then it was like a movie playing in my head every day. Right. It's there, but yeah, you just, but it was like, but I was like, Oh, maybe that didn't happen. Maybe it was just like this thing, you know, right, you right. just try to put it on. You turn it into anything, but what it actually is. And you know, yeah. five years old, uh, <laughs> when you're five, it doesn't do that much damage. It's the years that follow that start to really Yes. start to add up. It's like, you know, when you leave a sliver yeah. or something in and it starts to get infected and it's worse and worse. And so, um, man, that bottled up for 25 years, 25 years, man. It was, it was a, it was a beast wanting to come out and I was triggered. I was happy when I wasn't triggered, but when someone, when I felt like someone was trying to take advantage of me with my money, my business, my personal relationship, family, friends, it was like, I wanted to fight them. Right. And I never understood I was just like, well, this is who I am. Don't try to change me. You know, I'm just like the guy who's happy and loving all the time until you try to cross me, then you better watch out. Yeah. And I just never understood until I started to look within and started to heal and be like, okay, let me figure out all the instances of my life that still affect me, that I am unable to talk about without stuttering or quivering or being emotional. Because if I can't talk about something without me feeling so ashamed then there's some work that I need to be taken care of. There's something I need to let go of, forgive or heal because that emotional story has power over me and is, is persuading me to be triggered in these moments as opposed to not reacting or reacting from love and a place of peace. Right. So, and, it's, and it's been a game changer ever since. I mean, it's a daily practice to, to not be reactive and, you know, and let go of that past uh, moment or moments that happened in my life and just really focus on, okay, how can I respond with love and not take it so personally? But it's been such a, a game changer to live in that space and be able to sleep at night with peace. So when all that stuff happened um, for you, as far as that transformation and everything that you went through, it wasn't necessarily fully intentional, all those steps. It wasn't like you, you you'd listen to a podcast or you heard a program and said, okay, I got to do this, this, no. and this, this. It wasn't back then this information wasn't as readily available. 
Now, I, the thing that happened is my my best friend, who is uh, who you met, he's he was um, he was playing basketball with me on the same team, and he saw this happen, and he was like, and he was watching me react a lot on the basketball court for months until this fight, and then after the fight, he was like, I just don't want to hang out with you anymore if you're gonna be like this. Wow. And that woke me up. I was like, if your best friend doesn't want to hang out with you, I was like, okay. I just need to figure this out. I just need to, I don't know the steps. I don't know who to talk to. I don't know if there's a, a manual on how to do this. <laughs> and back eight years ago, uh, I guess it was eight years ago, seven years ago, eight years ago, there was not a lot of also men opening up uh, in the media, in the mainstream news, on social media, blogging, at least from my perspective. I wasn't seeing a lot of men opening up and saying, hey, I went through sexual abuse and trauma and it's one of the reasons that shaped me into a certain way. And here's how I overcame it. Here's how I started to heal. There was not a how-to book from my perspective on how to do that. And I also wasn't even thinking about like the sexual trauma as a thing that was affecting me. I was just like, oh, it's just a thing that happened. Right. So I wasn't thinking that as one of the triggers that I would go back to. But really, there were different moments in my life where I felt like I was taken advantage of and abused beyond that. From, you know, kids taking advantage and abusing to the sexual abuse to uh, older kids. When I was like nine, there was these teenager boys that were like trying to force me to smoke uh, weed and cigarettes. And I remember they forced me to, uh, there was these teenage kids that forced me and another like nine or 10 year old to fight each other. And they created like a circle around us and created all this pressure to fist fight each other at like nine. And just like moments of feeling like, helpless right. and taken advantage of and abused. And then one of the reasons why I was like, I'm going to become the best athlete I can be. I want to become so big, fast and strong that no one can ever hurt me again is also what put me into sports and the benefit. There's also benefits to these things that we create sometimes, but the negatives were things that I wanted to let go of finally. And no one was really talking about how to do that. So I just kind of went on a journey myself to ask questions and start digging and see why am I like this? And, and that was, a very challenging, hard, long process and took years after finally being aware of what happened to me and why I was triggered to, to really heal until I felt like, okay, I have power and control over this now. Well, that's the thing. You know, it's one thing to, to work it out for yourself and dig through and ask, ask those hard questions. It's a whole different ballgame when you start talking about being the guy to deliver that information to the masses, which is what you became. Like you said, Yep. Eight years ago, there probably wasn't a lot of, you know, what you would call an alpha male or, a, you know, a dominant male figure who had influence, who was out there talking about stuff that, vulnerability. Uh, yeah, it's vulnerability. It's, it's, and uh, who's it? Brene Brown that talks about vulnerability. Yep. Uh, vulnerability is a very powerful thing. In fact, it's probably one of the powerful. most powerful things um, because it allows us, I think it's, I think it's, it's powerful because it allows us to be who we really are and who we are is power, uh, who we, who we pretend to be and who we fake to be. That's no, there's no power in that. That's just, people see right through it. Um, and yeah. so, so being who you, who you really, really are at the core and being able to tell people that story and, and be, uh, you're not always proud of it. We're not always proud of who we are and what we've done, but being able to at least just put it out there and say, this is who I am. Yeah. You can love me or you cannot, but at least, you know, um, there's, there's a lot yeah. of power in that. I think, I think all of us have suffered some sort of trauma whether it be sexual abuse, you know, that's on the you know, horrible end of the, the, the spectrum mm-hmm. to other things you experienced, like being uh, picked last in dodgeball. I was the same way, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. it, it was frustrating. I remember, I remember when they used to pick team captains. I used to get so, so 
pissed off because <laughs> I, I didn't, I wasn't, you know, disabled. I, I should have been decent at sports. I just David Sparks is not an athlete. I'm not Let's an just athlete. Put that well, I'm not a I'm not a stick and ball athlete. <laughs> not I can, a stick and ball. Uh, athlete. You're a monster That's truck true. athlete. I'm a monster man. truck athlete. I do action all sorts sports. of uh, action sports, and so you know, it was frustrating to me growing up. Um, and it took me some time to to realize that even though I'm not good at certain things that other people are, and, and the more popular things like sports and stuff like that, being good at other things is good yeah. for me. And there's a lot of value in that. And then once I realized that my, my, my self-esteem and my confidence just exploded. I, I, I joke all the times and tell people that, uh, I'm one of the most overconfident bastards you'll ever meet. Like I'm just, <laughs> yeah. I, my wife will, my wife will agree. Every, my business partner will agree, but it's not in an arrogant way. I'm just like, if I want to rope at the moon and drag it down here, I, I'm going to figure out a way to do it. I just know that I can do it. Um, and I feel like you've, you've kind of gained a lot of that confidence too. You do it probably in a little more subtle way than I do. Uh, you do it, uh, <laughs> with a lot of class, which is what, uh, I, I admire about you. And I think honestly, God gave you those talents so that you could talk to people that maybe wouldn't listen to somebody in your position. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, there's a reason why you run the Ellen show. Ellen doesn't bring just anybody on the show. Uh, Ellen wouldn't bring me on the show because I don't deliver information you do. Um, but you are somebody that men and women and kids and, and old people, anybody can look up to you. And so, uh, that's why I feel like you've had so many cool experiences with your different interviews over the years. You've been podcasting since 2013, right? Yep. Um, you're, there's so many things I want to ask about your podcast. I think I'm just going to get into my questions that I had about it, which is um, the podcast or the, the interview that you've done that was the most memorable. Looking back and what, what do you, the, the one that stands um, out? And I know you I mean, talk. I mean, yeah, there's two that just popped in my head in the moment. One being the first time I interviewed uh, Tony Robbins, I've interviewed him a few times now and spent some time with him. But the first time, I think it was like five years ago. So it was within the first three, maybe it was the fourth year of my podcast. My podcast was picking up steam, but it wasn't like that big yet. It was big, but it wasn't that big. And I'd never done any video interviews with anyone, but I finally had the opportunity. He had a book come out and I was just like trying every angle I could get to interview him because he hadn't done press in years. And he was a, I went to an event of his when I was 16. My dad bought tickets for me and my mom to go to. And he had a very profound effect on me at that age. I think I was going through a lot of puberty and trying to learn about how to master sports, my body, all these things, just questions about life. Like, what am I doing here? And he had so many great speakers. He had, uh, you know, he, I think he had like Jerry Rice and world champion coaches come speak. So for me, it was inspiring just to hear these great leaders come speak. I think Trump was actually speaking there too. And Larry King and all these other people were speaking there. And um, I remember at one, it was like 15,000 person arena. And he came down on stage one time, walked through the audience and he stood right next to me at 16. And I just remember his presence and the energy that he brought. I don't remember what he said, but I remember, wow, one day I want to have that impact on people, that presence where and if I walk into a room with someone, they feel more inspired to take on their dreams than before. Or if they heard me say something or they watched something, that they felt more confident just by being in that energy and that presence. They felt more belief because that's what I had in that moment. And I told him that story when I met him and interviewed him. And it was just kind of a surreal moment to be doing something full circle 
for me with that type of impact. Was that an in so person a, or a video interview? It's in person. Yeah, it was in person. It was, and it was a, I guess that'd be like a 15 year swing or, or 18 year swing from 16 year old till when I met him for the first time and interviewed him. So I like to do things full circle. I just did a post about Ellen the other day because it was the three year anniversary of being on Ellen the first time. And I remember dreaming about being on Ellen when I was on my sister's couch hmm. and saying one day, just like you, like roping the, 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 the moon and bringing it down. I was like, there's no way Ellen would bring me on right now, but who do I need to become so that people like Ellen would want to bring me on? What do I need to create in the world? What do I need to make? What impact, what idea do I need to bring to life? Uh, what does my life story need to be about so that people like Ellen or Oprah would want to bring me on? We want to reach out to me and me not pitch to them. And that was a full circle moment being on Ellen. And, and I told her this story too. I, I like bringing full circle moments and completing a dream because then you just build more belief and say, yes, I can do this. Even if it was 20 years, eight years, 10 years, you create so much more true confidence by creating full circle moments in your life. Um, and so Tony was a powerful interview for me, memorable one, because I just remember being super nervous meeting him for the first time because of the impact. And Kobe was a powerful one, obviously, because of, uh, you know, everything happened, but people would ask me before he died, what was your most favorite interview? And I'd say Kobe Bryant, right? Because, of how the moment came about. And I've never witnessed someone as disciplined as him. I booked the part, you know, it's funny, the story, I booked the interview the night before the interview. He had a podcast come out called The Punies, which is an amazing kids podcast, scripted storytelling uh, for kids, for parents to play for their kids in the car. That's like short lessons around sports and mindset. It's amazing. And we book it the night before, the publicist, someone on my team is on the phone with the publicist saying, hey, they want to do an interview, but he's, he's free in like a month to do this. And I just knew like we need to book this first thing tomorrow morning if this is going to happen. Otherwise, next month, it's going to get changed. It's going to get moved along. I just know these things happen. So I say, do not hang up the phone until he agrees to doing tomorrow morning. I go, I'll go first thing in the morning. I don't care when, where, I will go anywhere. So they confirm it. And it's something like 8 a.m. in the morning, right, at his place. And I go, great. I'm actually going to a Lindsey Sterling concert in two hours, who's a fellow Mormon church member. Oh, yeah. And uh, <clears throat> and she's a friend of mine who I'd interviewed. And so I'm like, I already told her I'm going to this concert. So I'm hoping that she'll be done at like 10 o'clock, but she doesn't go on until like 11. And it's I get home at like 1 a.m. and I'm going to wake up at 5 a.m. and drive down in the Orange County to get to this place a couple hours early. I get there at 6.30 a.m. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm, I'm proud of myself. I'm an hour and a half early. I'm going to be ready. I'm going to be set up an hour early, prepared, like before anyone gets there. The assistant, I tell the assistant, I'm going to be there at 6.30, get there, open the door so we can set up. The assistant is there. She lets us in. We walk around the whole office. And I remember she was like, this is a place we normally film. I didn't like it. That's that location. I go, can we walk around and just see other stuff? We walked down this long kind of hallway with offices on each side of the hallway, but with the windows. So you could see that there was some openings in the offices. We go down to another section of the office. I didn't like it on that side. So we walked back through these kind of window glass uh, offices. And there was one of them that had all the lights turned off. 
And I just glance over to my left and I see a figure in the way back in the corner, like with his hands on the back of his head, looking up in the corner at the ceiling, no computer on, no phone on, nothing, lights out. And I tell the assistant, I go, is that Kobe? Like we walked past it, so he can't see us anymore. I go, is that Kobe? She goes, yeah. I go, it's 6.30 in the morning. The lights are like, what's he doing in his office in the dark at 6.30? And she goes, he's been here for over an hour already. He's been here for an hour. He got up at four and did a workout with his daughter because they were training in the mornings, right? The daughter that, that passed away, they were training at 4 a.m. still. Wow. And then he was in the office and she goes, yeah, he's always the first one in the office and the last one to leave. Still, this man just won an, an Oscar He's a five-time NBA champion, 20 years in the league. I was just like, this man has nothing to prove. And yet he is still showing up 4 a.m. for his daughter and his self and his body, showing up before the first people get there to just visualize and dream. And I was just like, he wasn't working or hustling or anything like that. He was just literally when was daydreaming. This? this was a year ago. Oh, this is recent. This was like, this was like a year. It might have been a year year and a half max. Wow. Uh, and, and I was just like this, it really shaped me in that moment. And also just the whole interview experience. Like he came out literally three minutes right before we were supposed to start. And so as we were getting closer, I was like, ah, oh, maybe he'll come out 10 minutes early and I get to connect with him. But eventually more and more people were coming to the office and his team was like, okay, he's going to be out here at eight. You've got 20 minutes little Wayne was literally in the other side of the office and his huge production company setting up for an interview right after us. So it's like just this weird experience. And I'm thinking to myself, I got to get more than 20 minutes. I'm just thinking to myself, I got to get more than 20 minutes. The publicist is breathing down my neck, standing over me, a list of all the things he can't talk about of all the stuff from his past or whatever that he does want to talk about. So I'm thinking to myself, I got to connect to his heart in three minutes while we're putting the mic on, while we're getting him ready. And I got to, I just got to make this moment happen. No pressure. And, and, yeah. Right. And he walks out and he comes right up to me. Super nice. Just looks me in the eyes, shakes my hand, just says, Hey, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate your time. Very generous and giving. And we're sitting down. I'm like, man, I'm so grateful that you made the time. Thank you. And, Right away, I just said, I want to acknowledge you also for, I've got a lot of friends who've played in the Olympics in different sports, and so many of them say some of their greatest moments are when they got to meet you and take a photo or a selfie, like eating lunch or in between different events, and I just want to acknowledge you for showing up for all the athletes who were inspired by those moments, and he goes, yeah, man, the Olympics are amazing, I love this, and I go, I've been trying to make the, uh, the Olympics for eight years, I played with the USA handball team and right away he goes no way he goes i love handball growing up in italy that's what i played all the time wow. i always love watching in the olympics i go i know it's amazing right it's like basketball but it's this so we're riffing on that and um and i was just like again i'm super excited about uh this interview and we we have some mutual friends that have also been on the show who've who've loved this and say great things about you and, he, and the publicist is like oh yeah who have you had on uh, and I was like, Novak Djokovic, who I just had on a few months back, he said some great things about you in our interview. And he goes, Novak is my brother. I love that guy. And um, right after that, I said, hey, listen, I know there's a list of things that I'm not supposed to ask you. Is there anything else that's off limits 
that we, we shouldn't talk about or I shouldn't ask. And, and I know I've, uh, we've got a hard out at this time. It, you know, is there anything else? And he looked at me in the eyes and he goes, ask me any question you want and take as long as you need. Whoa. And I was just like, I was just like, wow. That guy's a superstar, like whole, man. That is, that is not, that's not something that happens. No. And little Wayne's in the corner with like 20 people waiting. And, and so we end up going 40 minutes and he's opening up about love and intimacy and all these different things that he'd never shared before. So it was for me, one of the best interviews because of the pre-show for me, it's all about the pre-show. It's the right. connection you make before you turn the camera, the lights on, everything, the audio on. And luckily he showed up, he was willing to talk and he was just a great guy where he could have just said, okay, here's a list of questions you can ask me. We're promoting my podcast only this, you know, he was talking about everything. And, um, you, you know, people will go listen to your podcast. Look, go read your book and buy that or watch your TV show. If you don't talk about it, right. if you talk about all the other good stuff of life, that's when you get a great interview and people want to learn more. So those two were, were extremely memorable. That's awesome. So my next question was going to be, what was the most impactful? But it sounds like those might fall kind of in that same category. Is that true? I think both those were very impactful. Also, last year, I had a string of interviews. Early in the year, I was going through some personal challenges. I went through a breakup that um, the person was posting a lot of negative, nasty stuff about me online and really having a one-sided conversation about how our relationship was for years and just trying to find any way they could to. This was uh, a year ago. A year ago. At this point, yeah, you're, you're you're much more high profile, and when you become yep, more high profile, yep. you become that target. So people are seeing exactly. This. So yeah, this person was posting every day, weekly, monthly, interviewing, going on podcast interviews, YouTube yes. shows, and just got so much acknowledgement and attention to try to say bad things about me or whatever. And, um, just kept feeding into it. You know, the more people were, uh, loving up on that, the more they did this. So I remember just feeling like, man, I wasn't actually hurt by that. Cause I kind of expected it from them. I was more hurt by the people that I thought were my friends right. who then were quick to judge and kind of jump on this. Let's go after Lewis bandwagon or whatever, or say nasty stuff about him or whatever. And so kind of reading those comments or just, not having friends of mine that I'd helped for years not reach out to me and say, Hey man, just wanted to check in or whether this information is actually true or not. I just wanted to check in with you and see how you're feeling or, you know, learn more about this. Right. That was the stuff that was like, okay, this is frustrating and made me feel like I was getting abused again. So I had to like take a step back and be like, okay, all I want, all my abused little kid wants to do is beat people up right now, <laughs> everyone, and attack the world and defend myself and try to be right. But what is the higher elevated self? What would the ultimate spiritual self do? Would only respond with love. Right. Would not respond at all or only respond with love. And it was like, man, every day I was tested. And I was just like, this is going to be a great learning experience for me to see how much I've actually learned or if I'm going to fall back into an old way of being that doesn't support me. And I was leaning on every spiritual person I could find to say, keep, just to keep me accountable, to keep me like on top of it and to really 
you know, stay humble, stay grateful for the experience and know that this is going to be a blessing. Everything that's happening is a blessing. Even though you had the tools, you had the state of mind, you had training, you had all sorts of big, you know, great people around you. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's any easier. It's still hard. Right. Yeah. I mean, you you still have to make that decision. Mentally, you have to make that shift. And it's just one decision you have to make. You have to determine, am I going to go right or am I going to go left? And and then you can use your tools and then it becomes easier. But to make that decision is really hard. And if, and the thing is, like I knew, I was just like, okay, if I do this, if I post and defend myself or prove myself right and them wrong, whatever I wanted to do, am I going to be proud of that in six months? Or am I going to say, man, you're still being this immature, like insecure, whatever. You're still caring about people's opinions. You're whatever it is. And so I was just like, you know what? People can have whatever opinion they want, and this is a time for me to purge purge relationships, purge emotions. You know, I was giving so much to so many people all the time. And it was probably too much. If there's such a thing as too much giving, but it was like, I was always trying to help people, even if they were kind of taking advantage of it. Right. I was just like, okay, how can I help you? How how can I help you? And I was just like, I don't need to help everyone with all my time and energy. If they're going to be talking crap about me anymore. Right. I don't need to be against them, but I just can focus my energy on, myself or my relationships that do care about that me and um so it was a beautiful experience and i remember interviewing um a pastor here in la erwin mcmanus that really gave me some great spiritual wisdom uh interviewing another pastor um uh what's it uh, uh dr Ber- uh, michael bernard beckwith oh yeah trying to make he's the he's in the secret he's in the original secret right yes yes michael bernard beckwith and he just opened me up in a powerful way also um robin sharma from the the man the monk who sold his ferrari the book that sold like 10 million copies he gave me some incredible feedback and wisdom and so i had these great spiritual mentors that i was just like here's what i'm going through without trying to name names or anything but i was like here's what i'm going through what should i be doing and I just got to open my heart and get coached by all these great spiritual leaders for the first few months, which was really powerful. So I think my audience appreciated me just being able to go through the journey and learn with them. Well, I was going to ask you, I mean, what do you think would have happened had you not reacted and responded the way you did? Had you, had you maybe gone the more vindictive route? I mean, what do you think that would have done to your content and to your list? Listen, I mean, dude, it wouldn't have only affected you. This would have had a ripple effect across millions of people you're talking 150 million downloads uh you know this a couple months ago yeah so at that yeah. time it was probably over 100 million so as soon as you go do something that's contrary to what you've been teaching dude not only would you have had a bad experience but all these people that trust you that believe you that, that take your content for for gospel would have been like wait a minute this guy's not practicing what he preaches and dude it would have devalidated a lot of is devalidated a word a Feels lot like a word sure. yeah, yeah <laughs> it is now probably. Uh, it would have it would have undermined like years of work and right. effort and all these things. So it was uh, a great, the thing that for whatever reason, I think having six or seven years of training and healing and progress and all these things, I'm still not, I'm not a perfect human being. I still make mistakes, but it's like having the lessons and, and the experience. I just kept saying to myself, there's one thing that kept me sane. It was saying, I'm going to have 2020 now. Like I'm going to not wait till later to reflect back. I'm imagining it's Christmas time or a year out from now, and it's all going to make sense. It's all happening for me. 
It's going to be a blessing. It's going to give me tools to help more people in the future when they go through something challenging. I'm going to be able to educate and be there for them. So that was really the thing that held me like in a positive way. I was just like, just imagine it's a year out. None of this is going to matter. You're going to learn a ton. Be humble. Be grateful, and keep giving. Well, I'm glad you did, dude. Because honestly, that's a that was a turning point not only for you but for a lot of your listeners and, and people who. It was huge, man. Because listen, in the first month and a half, I was like, I had posts pre-written that I was like, here's proof, here's this. Yeah. That I was just like, I'm going to ruin this person's life. Like, they're trying to hurt me, but I'm going to destroy them right. with all the stuff that I have about them. And that was like, the the angry part of me was just like, I can't wait to do this. But the loving part of me was like, what's that going to do for you, for them, for the ripple effect of the community? Like you said, yeah. it's only going to do damage which the ego wants to create pain and damage, but the true essence of my heart wants to create love, support, and lift people up. Right. So it was like, which wolf do I feed today type yeah, of mentality. Yeah. Every, every day was like, do I feed the bad wolf and go back into this place and it's going to feel good for a moment? Or do I keep feeling, feel, fueling the good wolf and it's going to be painful and I'm going to have to just take it. But I'm going to come out much greater than if I did something bad. So, yeah. Well, you made the right choice. Have you ever, uh, have you ever heard of the book 48 laws of power? Of course. Uh, Robert Greene was my first interview on the school. Of Greatness no podcast. kidding. Wow. Seven really? years ago, the wow. first interview was Robert. Greene. That's amazing. So in that book, it talks about, I think one of the, one of the laws of power is, um, you know, don't, don't pick fights. Don't, don't go after, you know, don't go after your enemy. But if you do go after your enemy, you destroy them. You vanquish destroy them is what, is, is what it talks <laughs> about. Never come back. Exactly. And that's a hard thing because I think, it's true though. I mean, I, if you do, if you do pick those fights, like, I mean, obviously this isn't the conversation we're having, but it's, it's there's right. <laughs> you got to throw it, a nasty head, but <laughs> you gotta throw gonna, <laughs> if your ego, if your ego is going to take over, make sure it destroys someone. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Don't and, go in a little bit, nope, go in all the way. Nope. Exactly. And it's funny. I was, I was, um, you know, and I was just thinking of like, my ego wanted to take over and wanted to like destroy it. Cause I was just like, how can this person not be grateful for all the years of all the things I did for this person and all this stuff. But I think, um, the greatest test was me. It was my greatest test to see, okay, when you feel betrayed by all these people, do you try to respond in a negative way or do you try to essentially let your ego die and rebuild on a new foundation. And I think that was kind of like the ultimate test for me to see like, okay, publicly when people are questioning certain things about me, do I defend that? Uh, what is true or what's not true? And, or do I let the ego die and start building again? And, and people will see the process and the journey of the death and the rebirth and be more inspired by that than the, um, the defense and attacks in return. Yeah. And I think uh, one of the things was, uh, I didn't want to fuel any fire with it. Also, it was like they were getting so much attention for every time they post something that I was just like, why create any more attention around negativity? Right. Just focus on love. Well, so. you know, I think that's one of the most futile things that we as humans do. And it's probably, it's just human nature. I mean, it's literally deep inside of us is, uh, trying to prove other people wrong. It's, yeah. it's, it's, for some reason we have this, this, this primal instinct to just, if somebody's wrong, we need to make sure they know and the world knows. But 
dude, it is one of the most, it is one of the biggest wastes of time and energy. Now I'm not saying that you Wait. just have to let people get away with anything they want, but right. there's a way to do it in which you come out ahead and you don't have to spend any more time and energy on that person. And it's just by living in a way that what they said or what they did isn't true about you. Uh, and that's, exactly. that's what you did. You know, essentially you just said, here's the high exactly. road, taking it. Said, How, what was the hardest time in your life that you had to overcome public, uh, opinions, judgment about whatever, whether it was true, partially true, not true at all. I'd say uh, on, on a high profile level, it's been most recently with a, um, well, in 2016, we got sued uh, by a group of doctors here in Utah. Um, their organization is called the UPHE, and um, that happens to sound a lot like uh, EPA. Uh, if you if you just you know hear it in, in, in passing, uh, UPHE stands for Utah Physicians for a Healthy Environment. EPA is obviously the Environmental Protection Agency. They sued us um, and claimed all this stuff about us destroying the environment and things that we do that just with our trucks. And like, mm-hmm. they basically blamed the bad air quality in Utah on us. And uh, wow. that's, that's a bold claim because uh, Utah gets some pretty bad air quality in the wintertime because we get what's called the inversion. The bad air gets trapped in here. And man, I just wanted to go online and just tell everybody what, what really happened. And, 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 yeah. And just say, look, you know, Here's the truth. Here's why they're wrong. Here's why they're idiots. Here's what, here's, they've sued the, you know, a hundred companies in the last month. This is what they do. This is, this is a business. This is not a, a do good for the environment cause. So many things that I could have gone out and done, but I said, you know what? I'm going to bite my tongue. I'm going to let the court process do what the court process does. And I'm going to let the judge come in and hear the facts and, and do what he needs to do. So it went to court and it was dismissed, I think three times because of how infactual their information was. Like they were just filing. Wow. They literally sued my mom. They sued my wife. They sued whoever they could just because suing celebrities makes a great headline. And so yeah, all of a sudden yeah. their, their organization, the UPHE, was getting all sorts of validation from people all over the country because it's like, uh, you know, um, Utah, I think every headline was like, a group of Utah doctors sues uh, reality TV stars, Diesel Brothers for bad air. I mean, that makes a great headline. And they got headline after yeah. headline after headline. And so it was frustrating for me because I'm actually an advocate for clean air. Uh, I'm, you know me, I, I did an interview with you talking about yeah, my yeah. involvement in an electrical vehicle company. Like I am the last guy that wants to drive around blowing smoke out of my truck. And we talked about a little bit of this on your show in the early, early days, there might've been three or four month period where we were getting to know diesel performance. We didn't know much about it. And we happened to have a couple of videos go viral of us doing stupid things with trucks. Um, but those couple of months and those little videos all of a sudden defined who we were and all the good stuff mm-hmm. we were doing for the community just kind of went out the window. So uh, re- the ruling recently came out um, and the judge, uh, he's, he's, a, he's kind of an environmentalist. He, he's notorious for being kind of leaning that direction. Um, and so the ruling wasn't, it wasn't really great for anybody. The sad part was the the money, um, there was a fine attached to it, like an $800,000 fine that he said, you guys have to pay this. Out of that wow. money, um, 10% of it was staying here in the state of Utah to help the air. The rest was going to the treasury in Washington, which to me is wow. super frustrating because that's not where the money belongs. If I, dude, we offered right. so many times to settle this and say, look, we're sorry. We, got, we, we, were, we were found guilty of... 22 violations of the Clean Air Act. So 22 different vehicles that we had either purchased and resold with the emissions components tampered with. Um, and these were not malicious things that we were doing. It's just we didn't even know the law at the time. To give you a good example, um, a regular car dealer uh, in L.A. or anywhere is guilty of probably 15 to 20 of these violations every single month by just purchasing vehicles and reselling them 
that may or may not have emissions functioning. We were found guilty of 22 vehicles over the course of six or seven years. So a drop in the bucket, like literally drop in the right. bucket, but all of a sudden this national headline. So we appealed it and I'm excited to kind of start telling, I don't want to, I'm not going to go out and, 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 you know, bash on the doctors because that's, I get nothing out of that, but I am going to go out and explain what the story, what really happened and what we're really doing to, to improve the environment and, and how I'm happy to pay that money if it stays here in the state. So, uh, yeah, it's frustrating when somebody says you, you are something that you know, you truly aren't, uh, yeah, tough, man. They're, they're the, the only way to prove that, or the only way to, in my opinion, it, to be able to, you know, show the world that you're not, that is not by saying that that group was wrong. It was, it's by me going out and saying, well, guess what? Now I just, I'm releasing an electric vehicle that is going to, like I told you on, on your show, you know, in five or 10 years, this vehicle could completely reduce or, you know, eliminate smog yeah. in big cities like LA. So doing right. our part, but it's, it's, it's hard. It is frustrating. Um, it's hard. Yeah. Marcus, what have you, what have you seen in uh, Dave over the last couple of years? Have you seen him grow in any way or do you see him still struggling to not want to destroy people online <laughs> or publicly? Uh, I've been friends with Dave since I was 18. I moved from California here to Utah and moved into his neighborhood. And uh, I think in the past few years, man, I've seen him show a lot of restraint, you know, where back in the day he would have been throwing fists and I would have jumped over the top of him and then throwing fists right over at <laughs> whoever it was, yeah. you know. Sucker punches someone in the back. Big yeah. time. I don't think I've changed as much because I'm still like, yo, dude, you want me to go headbutt <laughs> that guy? I'll go headbutt him, right. you know. Where Dave, uh, he shows a lot of restraint. And one thing that we've talked about on the podcast, I think that's uh, really helped me and kind of helped change me because you don't know that much about me, but I'm kind of like the guinea pig on the show where, you know, I'm, I'm just a regular guy. And uh, I get to kind of put it yeah. into practice everything we talk about. And it's, for me, in the last year has been life-changing. But one thing that Dave talked about was uh, just pretending like things aren't there, you know? And I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm a professional DJ. I made most of my living DJing festivals and big events. And, you know, you could rock a crowd that was like 20,000 deep, right? And you're just stoked. And you get off and then you go to Twitter and you have one tweet, you know, that's like, Marcus right Wynn sucks, man. He ruined my night. And I'm like, dude, I've got video evidence of like thousands of people enjoying themselves. But that one yep. tweet, man, could really take me down. And when we talked about that, Dave talked about how he started practicing, just kind of practicing like things aren't even there, you know, and just not even giving any kind of, uh, you know, it's apathy. Any kind apathy, of pay, apathy pay, is my is my is, my is one of my most like uh, powerful weapons. Is just yeah. you, you don't exist. You're not yeah. even in my in my universe. And that's I know it's not worth the energy. It's nope. good to see him do that because man, you know, me getting one person tweeting me about DJing, you know, seems like the world's ending. But I read I some of the question or some of the comments on Instagram and stuff like that. What people say to him, and he's one of my best friends. I'm like, dude, this is. I mean, just just recently. Dave called me on Monday, we were, or I'm sorry, Friday. We were supposed to report a podcast, and he called me and says, hey, man, I'm landing my helicopter in your backyard. I'm picking you up because Caleb broke his you know, tibia down in the middle of the desert, and he needs, he needs to be rescued. You know, These doctors are hitting him up like, oh, you've ruined this. I'm like, dude, he just saved one of our friends in the middle of the desert. <laughs> you know. And so for me, it's cool to see him where he gets all these negative comments, and he's just able to overcome it and pretend like it's oh, not dude. there. And he's still successful, and uh, he's uh, he's pretty great about uh, just tuning all that out. Well, Lewis, that's cool. what's cool about yeah. our podcast is we we um, 
I originally called it the checklist, the heavy checklist, because um, being a pilot, when you get in your aircraft, I think I told you this on your show, you have a list of yeah. items that you that are critical. They're written. They they say they're written in blood, um, and it's check this, check this, check this. And if you don't check those items, you could potentially crash and die. And so, um, for me, I'm a very visual person, and I'm a very simple person. It has to be just kind of like in a list, bam, bam, bam. There, I did it. Perfect. That's that's what I needed to do, and that's why I feel like um, a couple of things here. That's why Marcus, first of all, is he says he's the guinea pig. He really is the perfect co-host of the show because he's the guy who is doing literally every item that we. A lot of the stuff that I talk about on the show are things that I've experienced and done for myself, kind of on my own time, and I and I and I enjoyed them. On the show, we'll talk about stuff like ice baths, for example. You know all about those. Um, and Marcus, for the first time he heard about him, was like. What we what? And now he's going out and he's bathing in a frozen lake every morning. And dude, right, he, he's his 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 his, his wife pulled me aside. Uh, I don't know six months or so ago, and she's like, "I don't know what you're doing to my husband, but please, please, please keep doing it because it's the most powerful mm-hmm. thing that's ever happened to him. He's happy. He's sleeping. He's eating good. He's losing weight. He's working out. He's got energy. He's a better dad. He's a better husband. And it's just." It's, it's because we're, we're putting together this list and it's not just me. It's, it's us, you know, as a group putting together things that have helped us and then turning and actually implementing them and keeping each other in check, mm-hmm. which is why, yeah. uh, this podcast is so exciting for me because what you do is the school of greatness. You literally teach people how to become great. Um, and it's not just a saying like you legitimately, if, if people listen to your show, all you got to do is go listen to a couple episodes. You're like, Oh man, that, that really right. was a course in greatness or a course in, in vulnerability, a course in whatever it is to help me to become great. And so you marry the school of greatness with the checklist and you've got this, um, greatness checklist. You've got this thing that we're working yeah. towards giving people just very simple steps on how to become better and how to become ultimately great. And, you know, becoming great is a lifelong endeavor, but there's different stages, right? People ask you what, what greatness means to you. And I think you've said multiple times it like t- yeah. today or tomorrow. What does it mean? Like it's, it's, it's constantly <laughs> exactly. evolving, right? Yeah. So with it's that, it, that's the thing. So I think what we were talking about today, there's a lot of valuable little nuggets and we're going to get to the checklist part of it here in a minute. But I also wanted to ask you, in your course of interviewing people over the years, what was the most surprising interview that you ever came across? What was what hit you like a ton of bricks and you did not expect it? Surprising. It's hard for me to get surprised, but there was an interview I did with a guy named Ty Lopez where we're, we're friends and um, but one of the first times I interviewed him when I didn't really know him that well I had just, you know, like I do with most people, I kind of acknowledge them for all they've created. And I was like, Hey, you know, my audience wants to learn all these things. You've done some amazing things at such a young age. I was just curious, like, how old are you? Because it's inspiring that you've done all this and with your age. And he wouldn't respond to his age. He was like, well, was, my publicist told me I should never say my age for this and this reason. And I was like, wait a minute, what? I was like, first off, you're not a girl that's like disrespectful or something like that. Ask the age you're, your guy. And I never heard that from a guy before. So I kind of just kept asking him. I was like, wait a minute, but it's really inspiring what you've done at your age. So why don't you want people to know? And I think I probably asked him five times throughout the interview and he never responded with his age. He just kind of kept running around the question. So I think I was surprised by that at the time, but does anybody know how, you know, old, is he, how old he is? I don't know. He's somewhere in his forties. Wow, I think I Googled it afterwards, but this was years ago, like three or four years ago or something. And I, you know, we're friendly and friends now. It wasn't like a big deal, but I was just like, huh, it just kind of was weird for me in that moment. I was like, yeah, I've never heard that before. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I guess that, I guess if your brand is you want to build a little bit of mystery into your brand, it's, it's I guess do, yeah. So. You're, you're timeless, you know. Yeah, exactly. And he kind of is a timeless <laughs> type. When you look at him and his brand, he is. I would. I honestly wouldn't be able to know whether he was forty or or you know or thirty. Thirty. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> exactly. That was interesting. Um, okay, so yeah. with that, um, what interview that you've done and the the, the takeaways that you had brought about the most change in your life, like drastic change, like black and white. I think, um, this interview I did with Robin Sharma, just cause I came to mind just now of purging. He, he talked about purging people in your life. Cause I, I told him, I was like, you know, I'm a little frustrated by all these people I've helped for years who are kind of, I feel like turning their back on me or just not reaching out or kind of leaving nasty comments online about stuff. And it's really frustrating. And he said, this is the time to purge people out of your life and to go deeper in the relationships of people that are there for you. And it doesn't mean you need to, you know, not support people from afar and not wish good on people. Um, but you don't need to give all your time and energy to people that aren't supporting you in return. And it's a time to let go. It's a time to let go of people. And that was kind of hard for me because I think I was so committed and attached to building relationships with everyone. And I realized like, you're right. Like it's not doing any good for me to hold on to relationships. If there's not two people trying to work on the relationship or if I felt like they weren't supportive anymore. So that was a, a great lesson where I was like, I purged relationships over the next few months. And I went deeper into, um, the partner that, that my new girlfriend at the time who I started dating Jeanette, I went deeper into, that relationship, my family relationship. Jeanette's the best, by the way. Just for anybody, if you don't know who Jeanette is, you need to follow her on Instagram because watching the, these two relationship is like, I love it because it's real. It's it's watching. I think she posted something Thanks, last night. Man. It was cracked me up, dude. It was just you guys being <laughs> you, being goofy. And she, yeah, Jeanette's from Mexico. She doesn't speak yeah. great English yet, right? She's she's learning and, yeah. and you're learning Spanish. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> that was a bold move on your part, dude. You, you bring up this I girl and, and you've got this, uh, this relationship where one speaks English, one speaks Spanish. And there's kind of a cultural shock because now she's moving from Mexico to LA, which talk <sighs> about, talk about a, a, like those are, that's about as Different black man. and white as it gets. So, yeah. In the first couple of months since she moved here, it was a, it was challenging, man. It was great. But then it was just like, we had to learn how to live together. We had to learn cultural differences, communication, language differences. And it was like every week there was something coming up that was a, a snag for us and we'd have to like talk about it. I was like, man, this wasn't like the first year of us dating. It was like so <laughs> nice and easy, it was long distance, no responsibility, no, you know, no stress, just like have fun. And so I had to learn really how to be more patient than I've ever been in my life in the last few months. Have you met your family? I met, yeah, I met all, all of them. Yeah. I went there for New Year's Eve or not New Year's Eve, Christmas Eve, uh, for a day and then our dog broke its leg, and we flew back Christmas morning. Oh, so I was supposed to stay there for a week to get to know him, but I got to know him for like one day, and then Jeez. like we had this accident with our dog, so we flew back on Christmas Day, missed Christmas, and went to emergency surgery in LA with our dog. So it was kind of like this stressful. And then she moved in that day, and it was frantic and stressful. And then Corona hit, and it's just like it's been an amazing test. I remember saying before she moved in, I go within six months we're going to know whether this is going to be like long long-term or short-term. Right. You're either going to be here for the long-term or you're going back to Mexico in like six months. Yeah. And the first, first six weeks, I was like, man, I don't know. Like, we'll see if we can make it through this. But I just deepened the patience. I deepened, I was like, it's not going to not work without me being patient and loving and committed. 
going to not work for whatever other reasons that we're not the right fit. Right. And uh, it's been the most beautiful last, I guess, three, four weeks because of that commitment to patients understanding, even when it's hard to understand the language and cultural differences. And we've both just been shifting in big ways for each other where it's just like, wow, this is this is what it's supposed to be like. Right. And I think we needed that challenging first few couple months to be, to see like, okay, we can get through the other side. Well, it's, it's, with all <laughs> it's funny because, um, you're a really big deal in your space. And, and I would dare say just, you know, worldwide, but here in, in the U S uh, people know you, you, you're, you're a high profile person. She in Mexico is the same. She's the equivalent. If, yeah. She's got a tr- huge following. And, and so huge. you've got these two worlds that are completely different colliding and you've got your work cut out for you, man. Work, man. It's been worth it though. You know, sure. I'm sure there's going to be more challenges and lessons and uh, responsibilities and growth and learning and all that stuff. But it's been a beautiful last few weeks. I'll tell you that because we went through the challenges and we didn't run away from them. Right. And we communicate and it's like, that has to be I, my thing is patience. I'm not a patient guy, but I've been like, okay, I need to surrender. This is the lesson I need to just be patient. And I think because I'm learning that lesson in a big way and doing it, applying it, it's paying off dividends. And so, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, this is this is shifting gears a little bit, but um, <laughs> do you believe in God? You know, it's interesting. I've I go back and forth on this actually, which is probably bad to say that, but I, I grew up in this Christian science religion, believing in God in a big way. And I'm not, I wouldn't call myself a practicing Christian scientist. I don't go to church. I'm not, you know, studying uh, the Bible per se and the lesson that we have, but I would say I still live by the principles of what I've learned and wanting to be a good person in the world and treating others with respect and, uh, being a, a, a humble servant. And it's interesting, the more I've interviewed spiritual leaders and leaders from all over the world, everyone's just got different experiences about God, about religion. And I've tried to just go down this path of learning as much as possible. And um, it's just a matter of having faith and trust that, yes, there is a creator. And, um, Sometimes I'm fully believing in it and I'm all in and other times I'm like, I don't know, but it doesn't mean I'm like, you know, an atheist or something or, or against this, or I think it's all just, um, you know, happening by coincidence. So I definitely believe there's a creator because I don't think that you could have a creation without a creator. And, um, I want to tell you something that I've noticed about you that, and this, this is, this is. I have a tendency to just speak what's on my mind. So take zero, zero offense to this, but, um, I personally feel like you've grown tremendously over the last five or 10 years and you've, you've hit so many different goals and you've, you've, you've come to such Mm -hmm. a, a great person in so many ways. I feel like your next chapter, your next big moment of growth is going to be the spiritual side of Lewis. I don't, and I don't know what that means regarding uh, your relationship with God or a greater, you know, power. But I feel like it took you some time, and and you're kind of like me, where we're probably late bloomers in certain ways, where our confidence came mm-hmm. to us later in life. Which I'm glad it did, because yeah. if I was as confident as I am now in high school, then I'd have 19 <laughs> different babies across the country, and it, would, it wouldn't be good. So, <laughs> exactly. uh, I mean, it's it. I think it was it was everything happens, you know, for a reason. But I yeah. truly feel like. 
uh, you're going to grab another gear here um, and it's going to be that spiritual yeah. side and there's going to be some growth there and you're going to have some experiences and some, some, some feelings and some different moments that you would have never expected to come. I a hundred percent agree. And I've always felt like my, um, I always see myself as more of a spiritual guide and leader in the future. Um, I don't know how that's going to look, but I see myself just progressing in that way. And I think I've just, I've tried so many different things. I've had so many spiritual moments in my life. Like every day I feel like I'm having a spiritual moment when I'm in my relationship, when I'm connecting with my team and my, you know, people listening, I feel like I'm having a spiritual moment through service. Right. And I truly think that like, you know, whether you believe in God or don't or whatever, whether God is around you or in you, you know, which I believe it's within me. I feel like, being in service is the highest level of spirituality. Right. And it doesn't matter what I believe in as long as I'm here to serve humanity to improve and grow and be better and express love the best way I can. I feel like that act is greater than saying, yes, I believe in God, but I'm not doing anything to serve. Oh, totally. 100%. Yeah, so, I agree with that. So do you pray or have you ever prayed? When was the last time you prayed? I prayed a lot as a kid growing up a lot and never felt like my prayers were answered necessarily. Um, and then I started to meditate, which essentially is prayer for me because I'm connecting to source. I'm connecting to a higher being and a higher power. And I'm, I'm just not saying like God, you know, in my mind's eye or in my meditation or prayers, right. I'm, I'm just being one with creation with the universe. And I think I'm just learning how to communicate. I may sound weird, but I'm learning how to communicate in my internally differently about it all. So it just makes more sense to me. Totally. No, I agree. And that's the thing. That's the, that's usually the second phase that people get to is (laughs) most people start praying and then they, you know, work, work. I'm still working on meditating and it's really difficult for a guy like me. Um, I have ADD and, and, and growing up, you know, controlling where my brain's at because I don't have a problem staying focused or have a problem with too many distractions. I have a problem with too many great ideas and things that I want to do. And there's so much that, that I can do in a day, but honestly the most stress and anxiety that I'll ever feel is on a, like a warm weather Saturday, because there's so much that I want to get done in that one day. So many things that my brain's like firing all over the place. I just like, ah, how do I, you know, uh, utilize this time the, you know, the, the best way possible. So for me, it's, it's hard to sit down and say, okay, Let's focus on our breath for a minute. Okay. Now, uh, I, I was listening to a meditation thing the other day that said, um, explained it really well to me because I'm a visual person. So it says, as you're sitting there meditating, um, and if a thought comes by, let's say you are basically on the, on the bank of a river. And as a thought comes by and you accidentally start going down that path and, and start allowing yourself to think about it, you just got on a boat for a minute and you're going down the river, but you're able to just step off that boat and get back on the, on the bank of the river and stand there and wait and just let things pass rather than jumping on them and taking the ride. And Mm -hmm. as I started, you know, viewing my thoughts like that and just letting them go by and not giving them any attention rather than jumping on the raft and floating to wherever the, you know, the next stop was, it's, it's been huge for me. I I think I learned that actually on the headspace app. I was really surprised that. Mm, Yeah. I love that. Yeah, it's great. And, and when it, when based, when they taught that principle, I was like, Whoa, that was, that was deep. I was, that was worth every penny that I paid for this. So, um, I'm going to issue you one challenge. Um, and this is the only challenge I'm going to give you because I want checklist items from you, but I'm going to, I'm going to tell you to, uh, 
find opportunities to make your uh, meditations or prayers just a little bit more deliberate. And I'll explain to you uh, okay. an experience that I had. Uh, when I was 26, I think, um, I think I talked a little bit about my wife, Ashley, on your show. Um, beautiful, mm-hmm. perfect girl. I was 26. I was single in Utah, 26 and single. You're old. I mean, that's, that's like real old. You're, 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 yeah, <laughs> right, right, you're, right, you right. got to get off the streets. So I was like, I was just done. I was bored. I dated everything, everybody that I'd want to date. And I was ready to start a family. I had that really strong urge. And so, um, I looked around at what I was doing and I thought, okay, here's some stuff that I can improve as far as, you know, uh, spiritually and, and, and physically and everything. And so I sat down and I, and I, and I, said a prayer. And this, I'm a very transactional guy. I'm very like, just, right. I'll give you this, you give me that. So I sat down and I said, God, um, I want to find the girl of my dreams and I want to start the family and I'm just ready. And in return, I'm going to do the things that I know you want me to do. And, and for me, I believe he wants me to do the things like, um, you know, go to my church services and uh, pay my tithing and uh, stop, you know, messing around with random girls and, and, and mm-hmm. dating every girl that I see. Um, and just simple things, you know, just basically live a little bit cleaner life. And uh, I said, I promise I'll do these things if you put her in my life. And uh, it was maybe a two or three minute prayer, got up and, and I just went to work. And, you know, I went to church and I did read my scripture. I, I did what I promised I was going to do. Dude, I'm right. telling you, 10 days later, quick. T- yeah, that's, that's the way, the way God works with me is he knows that he's got my attention for this long. And so he's got to, <laughs> when we got a deal, we got to make it happen. So it was very deal based. And, and, but dude, it was like me talking to a business partner, me talking to a, a you know, a guy yeah. at the, the flea market, like just making a deal. And, and I think sometimes we overcomplicate that relationship with uh, the higher power. And, and in my case, yeah. it's God. Uh, and so I'm just going to challenge you to, if you get an opportunity Say a prayer that's a little bit more formal, and this does this is not based off of any sort of religion. I'm not saying it has to be this religion's prayer, or that religion's prayer. Um, I wouldn't go take a Catholic prayer and recite it because those aren't your words and thoughts. I would, sure. I would, I would just say, uh, you know, uh, God, it's it's me, Lewis, and and uh, how are you? And uh, I, you know, build a build a relationship with him, and 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 just. A prayer of gratitude is the most powerful thing in the world. Mm. You, you kneel down and say, thank you for Jeanette. Thank you for my new studio. Thank you for this type of stuff. It's, yeah. it's practicing gratitude that, that we all do anyways. And, you know, everybody in the personal development space talks about gratitude. But for me, this is a very clean, simple, and effective way to do it. And I feel like somebody is listening because, you know, I'm talking to him and, and telling him what I'm grateful for. So mm-hmm. I, I challenge you to give that a shot and uh, just see, you know, see how it goes. Because that's a I'm powerful in, thing. I'm in. I'm in for sure. Okay. Um, you got an interview coming up here shortly? Yeah, I got five minutes. So I got to okay, jump perfect. on another one in five minutes. Well, I'm going to uh, I'm gonna get to the end here then. Um, okay, perfect. So obviously, uh, you know, I, I have a hard time condensing some of these conversations because there's so much good here that we can pull out and extract. So obviously, we're going to have to get into round two, three, four, whatever, um, and, and, and dig into that. So at the end of your podcast, uh, the one thing that you always ask is the three truths, right? Um, mm-hmm. so I'm going to take your same question and, and use it against you, but it's not going to be the three truths. This question is going to be, give me, if, if you were to die tomorrow and you could only leave a checklist with three items on it, three actionable things that somebody had to do to be able to get one step closer to greatness, what would those things be? <laughs> now you know your past. Yeah, I would say the first thing for me is like, if you had to do these three things to get greater is one, heal your past. I love that. And that includes like healing uh, the relationships of your past, healing the story you have around experiences you've had, uh, forgiving people in your past 
and most importantly, forgiving yourself. I think it's hard to get into a solid relationship with yourself or any intimate partner without healing the past first. So I'd say step one to where, heal your past. Where do you start with that. Make a list of everyone that's hurt you in your past. Everyone that you felt like said something that hurt you, that you still think about those kid, two kids who picked you last in the dodgeball game, those, you know, those teenage boys that made me get into a circle and beat up another nine-year-old and fight them, uh, you know, whatever, the, the, the man who sexually abused me, my parents who frustrated me, even though I loved them, like anything you can think of about your past that upsets you still, anyone that hurts you that you have not let go of yet, um, write a list of all those people and start forgiving them and letting go. You don't have to communicate to them this. You can just write a letter and burn the letter and bury it or just say in my mind, I'm letting you go. I'm forgiving you. I'm choosing to forgive, not because what you did is okay, but because I deserve peace in my life. I think it's hard to achieve greatness without healing and forgiveness first. So that's step one. Step two is um, another list to write down. Write a list of all your fears and insecurities and then go overcome them. Nice. Uh, You know, Batman wouldn't be Batman if he stayed afraid of the dark and stayed afraid of bats and was insecure about those things and the fearful of it. It isn't until he said, I'm going to go live in the darkness. I'm going to go live with a bunch of bats. I'm going to become darkness so that I know what it feels like and feel comfortable in darkness. Then it won't have power over me. So if you're afraid or insecure around anything in your life, whether it be, um, getting in new relationships, ending relationships, whether it be some type of fear of public speaking or starting this business or launching the book, whatever it may be, write a list of the biggest fears you have, the ones that make you tremble, and then go do the most challenging one first and knock them off your list. And I'd say the third thing is to really uh, focus on your health. I think have a daily practice of your health in terms of mental health, emotional health, and physical health. Um, Because if you're not taking the actions daily to nourish yourself physically and with the right nutrients, you're not going to have the energy to be great. So focus on the right things in your body, in your mind, in your heart to become greater in that way. You killed it, man. Lewis, you are a damn good man. We appreciate your time, brother. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Appreciate you guys. Thank you. We'll see you. Bye.